Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. We're right in the middle of our Daniel series. See if I can find it here. Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Um, Before we get started, I I wasn't planning on doing this, um, but I want to give you a little bit of an update. I want to tell you a story. Um, Many of you know that a couple times over the last several years, we've gone to Africa and we've done some missions work in Africa. Well, several months ago, uh, we asked the church to be praying about this big, gigantic tree. And it seems like a silly thing to be praying about, but there's this, this big tree. It's, it, it's even bigger in, in person, and it's more imposing in person. That giant tree is right there next to an Assembly of God church. So that Assembly of God church um, was built there next to that tree. And the, the significance of that tree is that this tree is, it's a fetish tree. It's a tree that the witch doctors and, and just the, the voodoo people and the spiritual belief there, that they believe that this tree contains supernatural powers. This is, this is a fetish tree. They go to that tree. They worship. They offer little uh, tiny trinkets at the bottom of that tree. Um, as offerings to their, uh, their, their fetish gods and stuff. And a couple of, couple of years ago, about a year ago, um, they were building a road right, right there. Um, you can see that on the right side of that picture, they were building a road. And they were having some, some conflict and trying to figure out how they were going to fit that road with the tree and the, and the church there. And so um, uh, the, the Chinese who were building that road, they had actually offered the town, $20,000 to cut down that tree. And uh, the witch doctor said, no, absolutely not. We are not touching this tree. This is, this is our God. We worship this tree. And in fact, they were suggesting to um, demolish the church and basically build the road around the tree and go right where the church is. Well, well, thankfully, the Lord intervened, and that didn't have to happen, and they were able to put their road there, um, and the witch doctors were able to keep their tree. But in that, um, there were many people around the world and there in Africa that were praying significantly that, that God would just remove the tree. And, um, and so Thursday morning there at 10 o'clock, they were having a youth rally in the church, and in, in this area, there's not a lot of people there, but there is always people around. I mean, that's, that parking lot right there is kind of a major hub where people come and gather. Think of uh, the Burger King parking lot, you know what I mean? Um, and so that's where a lot of people kind of go and, and hang out. And 10 o'clock Thursday morning, um, that tree just fell down. And uh, we got a picture of it right there. It... Uh, it didn't seem to be dead or rotting out or um, termite infested. It just fell over. And um, man, we were talking to Jim By, the missionary, and I-, I saw Facebook pictures and videos and stuff. And the missionaries that we were working with were just freaking out. Like, this is a big, major deal. It reminds me in the Old Testament when the ark was, was brought into the temple of Dagon. And... Um, there, overnight, that idol, the, the, the idol of Dagon fell down. And all the people came in and they were like, what's going on? What happened? They lifted their idol back up. The next morning, the idol fell down again and its head and its hands 
fell off. And uh, so this is very much what's happening here. This was a representation of their God and the power of their God rendered utterly defeated. And there's significance in the fact that it happened at 10 o'clock in the morning, broad daylight while everybody was there because the Christians cannot be accused of any um, foul play. It was just broad daylight out in the open, the tree falls down and man, they are rejoicing and they are singing praise to the glory of God. And um, so I just wanted to follow up with you because we were praying about that tree several months ago. How many of you remember that? We, we prayed about that tree several months ago and the tree is down and the witch doctors and the voodoo people there, they missed out on their 20 grand. So um, a double whammy there. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's funny sometimes when we talk about Daniel, um, we talk about the significant spiritual impact of Daniel, um, but, but there's a, a larger portion of Daniel that we're familiar with, and that's the stories in Daniel, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, the stories of Daniel have major significance. We talk about Daniel and the lion's den, which we're going to talk about that today. There are massive, there's a massive amount of impact in the stories in Daniel. And so what we're doing this morning is we are really preparing our hearts and our minds to celebrate the stories of those who are being baptized this morning. Because every single one of us as believers have a story to tell. And so what we do when we do these baptism services is we, we create an atmosphere and an environment to hear other people's stories. Revelation tells us that the enemy is overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. That means that we have to be willing to share our stories. And I've been talking to and I've been reading Facebook posts about some of the baptism candidates and, and, and they're talking about their story and the significance of their story. Let me just say before we get started with all of this stuff. I am so proud of every single one of you who are being baptized this morning. I am so excited that you are willing to share your story. And I know that many of you have stories that have a little bit of pain. Maybe some of you have stories that have a lot of pain, but God be the glory because he reigns victorious through your story. And we're going to get to be a part of that in just a little bit. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We just want to um, be filled up with stories so that we can praise God. Amen? So we're going to look at Daniel here in, in just a little bit. Let me, let me set this up with um, an inappropriate story here this morning. How many of you like those? Good. Not too many of you, especially the board members are like, no, let's not do that. But I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. It doesn't matter. So in the neighborhood that we used to live, um, the houses were built really close to each other. And so on one side, we shared a driveway with our neighbors. And I, I mean, you can get along with your neighbors just fine, but you cannot get along with neighbors if you share a driveway. It's just, it just you don't. And um, so, so we shared a driveway because we were really close on this side. And on this other side, um, our houses were just built really close. And we had this big row of hedges in between our houses to act as a little bit of a barrier. Now those hedges, they would grow real crazy and they get long and scraggly and out of control. And so I was always having to go in and trim those hedges up. And um, the problem was that every time I'd trim those hedges down, um, we could see our neighbor's house a little bit better. And it wasn't that we didn't like our neighbors. Uh, we got along with them great. They were this, just this wonderful, kind, older couple. And they had a dog, and we had a dog, and our dogs would bark at each other in the back, and we'd just stand there and talk. And, and it was just we had a great relationship with this couple, and, and they, they were awesome. 
The unfortunate thing was, when we would trim those hedges down to a manageable and an appropriate size, um, we, could, we could see their house better. And the way that the houses were designed, the unfortunate setup of it all, was that our dining room, our great big dining room window, looked right into their bathroom. Okay? I don't know whose genius idea this was to make that, but it looked right into their bathroom. Um, so we cut the hedges down. Now we can see that window every single time. Fortunately, it wasn't like a shower bathroom. It was just a toilet bathroom. Um, but every day, um, we would see the old man, our, our neighbor, walk into that bathroom, flip the lights on. We could only see him from like here up. But there was no mystery into what he was doing, right? Every day, we could see him using the restroom right through our dining room window. Some people look out their windows. They see lakes. They see mountains, Right? They see deer coming up. Um, our view from our window was an old man using the restroom. So we're going to talk about open windows this morning. Um, how many of you know that sometimes an open window can get you in trouble, right? Because why? People can see in, right? I can see you. And that's what we, we just want to say, hello, you know, we can, like, we can see you, you know, Pull the blinds sort of thing. But, but you can see inside those open windows. And open windows are great, especially in the springtime. You let all that stuff in. But when we open windows in our lives, we're giving people access to ourselves. We're giving people access to our thoughts. We're giving people access to our stories. We're giving people access to our beliefs. And sometimes open windows can get us in trouble, right? When people see us, when they know us, when they recognize us. Sometimes it can get us in trouble. This morning we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Many of you know that story. We're just going to touch on that briefly. But more than that, we're going to talk about Daniel and the open window. Daniel and the open window. Stories have tremendous power. And we're going to talk about this one this morning. I love stories. I love the stories of Daniel. I love reading through it and kind of thinking through the process of how it went down. So let's talk about the story of Daniel a little bit. And let's like make some application here. At the end, when we left this story last week in chapter 1, Daniel was a 16-year-old prisoner of war. He, he had been captured and taken exile from his home in Judah back to Babylon. And when we last saw him, Daniel was refusing to eat the steak, the meat, the beef, and the bacon from the king's table that had been set before him because they were training Daniel and his friends to be future leaders in Babylon. They were training them at like West Point Academy to be the future military and, and um, uh, the strategists and just the thinkers of that day. And so they wanted to treat them exceptionally well. Well, Daniel didn't want to eat any of that meat because it had been sacrificed to idols. He wanted to honor his God. And so he said, I want to eat vegetables instead. They did a test and they realized that um, Daniel and his three buddies, because they were honoring God were healthier, fatter, and stronger eating vegetables than they were the steak. And we talked about the fact last week that that wasn't because vegetables make you strong. It's because faith in God makes you strong. Amen? And so that's what Daniel was doing. He was eating vegetables so that he could honor God. And the challenge that we had last week was dare to be a little bit different. Dare to be a little bit different in a culture that is aggressive towards Christianity. In a culture that is becoming more and more intolerant of your faith and your belief. We sing about Jesus and the great name of Jesus. We are continually living in a world that is saying, no, that name of Jesus is not great. That name of Jesus is offensive. And so we need to be people that dare to be a little bit different and celebrate that great name. Amen? And so we talk about that. So this week in chapter 6, 
we find Daniel in a little bit of a different situation. Daniel is not a 16-year-old prisoner of war anymore. He is an 80-year-old man who has been living and succeeding tremendously well in this foreign nation of Babylon. And Daniel is about to come face-to-face with a bunch of hungry, angry lions. Many of you know the story, but let's pick it up there in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Darius is the king to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. It's funny when you read like Old Testament stuff, especially when you read stories, there's a lot of times these just three or four word lines that have extreme significance in here. And this is one in Daniel. There was an excellent spirit in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So let me explain what's happening here just so we can kind of set the stage for the story. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he was the guy who invaded Judah, who captured Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many others, and brought them to Babylon. They overthrew Judah, they ruined the temple, and they stole many of the holy relics out of the temple and put them in basically their pagan god treasuries. And so Nebuchadnezzar reigned for, for a long time, and then when he died, his son Belshazzar became the king. We're going to talk about him over the next couple of weeks. Belshazzar came the king. He took the throne. He ruled for a little bit. Then one night in a drunken party, um, Belshazzar was killed. And when he was killed, Darius the Mede received the kingdom. And so we have different kings kind of taking over. It was very much what you would think about how things kind of go topsy-turvy when there's a transition in royalty in that day. So Darius comes in. He's an outsider in a new realm and a new nation, and he wants to set up an organizational structure to ensure accountability and make sure that people aren't stealing from him. Um, He wants to make sure that people aren't um, reaching into the king's treasury and helping themselves to the money that that he has access to that's there. And so he sets up 120 satraps. Basically, these are regional leaders around his nation. Over the 120 satraps, he sets three presidents. Now, Daniel was one of these presidents. This was the leadership structure that he set over the nation that he was in. 120 satraps, they kind of ruled there, and then the three presidents oversaw the 120. Um, As we said before, uh, Daniel, Scripture tells us, had an excellent spirit. He was full of the Spirit of God. He was a man of integrity. He was a man his whole life that didn't pursue greatness, that pursued God, but because he pursued God and not greatness, God gave him greatness. Does that make sense? So that's Daniel. He had an excellent spirit. He was a man of wisdom, character, and integrity. And King Darius recognized this about Daniel almost immediately. There was just something special about him that in a group of 123 people, he stood out immediately. There was just something different about Daniel. And because Darius recognized this, he was determined to put Daniel in charge of all of the presidents. And so Daniel was going to be the top president. There was going to be two presidents underneath him and then 120 satraps underneath the three presidents that were going to help rule the kingdom. Are you following there? You see the leadership structure, the pyramid on its way down. There's one problem, however, if you are a satrap or a president and Daniel was given leadership authority over you. The problem is this. That Daniel's a man of integrity. Daniel's a man of honor. 
And Daniel's a man of character. And Daniel was going to enforce the wishes of the king. And it was going to dramatically affect the side business that the the presidents and the satraps and the nobility had set up that they were able to constantly reach into the king's treasury and um, basically uh, line their pockets and steal from the king. They They were skimming off the top, cooking the books, whatever you want to call it. They were able to dip into the king's treasury and it was a business that everybody just understood happened. Like... Everybody knew it was illegal. Everybody knew that if you got caught, you could be severely punished. But everybody did it. That was just the way business runs. But Daniel was a little bit different, as we talked about last week. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Why? Because they didn't like Daniel? No, not necessarily. It's because Daniel wouldn't allow them to do what they wanted to do with their illegal money laundering program. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I want to pause here for just a second and talk about this. Daniel was elevated to this position because of his integrity, because of his character, and he was finding himself under attack because of his character, because of his integrity. I think it's something that it's important for us to know and understand as believers. I know not every one of us in here are believers this morning, but you're going to hear some stories about believers, and that's who we're talking to a little bit this morning. I want you to know this. Not everybody is going to love you because of your character. Not everybody is going to love you when you have impeccable integrity. They're just not. They're going to look at you, and they're going to, find, they're going to try to find ways to find fault with you. And as you dare to be a little bit different, And as you chase God instead of greatness, know this, that during your journey, there will be some who love you for your integrity, and there will be some who hate you for your integrity. We've heard many stories of people in our church who've who've, um, been running from the Lord and and hanging out with people that they shouldn't be hanging out with and, and doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and then God captures their heart and their life in a significant way, and they begin to make changes, and the second those people begin to make changes and, and begin to be men and women of integrity and, and act right and do right and live right, their old friends begin to find fault with them, Right? They don't make friends with their old friends when they live lives of integrity. But that's what happens. We're a culture that's that's desperate to find the flaws in people with integrity. I've seen talk shows and those, those, what is it, The View, those those shows in the afternoon where where those ladies are talking and um, they're talking about um, different men and women with integrity and and I watched one recently where one of them said man I would love it if it came out that he was having an affair I would love it if it came out that he was having an affair why because we as a culture cannot stand people with integrity we look to bring them down we as a society always want to crush good people and so you just better know the more you pursue God in a life of character and integrity the more people are going to look for falls and flots in your life. That's just what they're going to do. That's what they did with Daniel. I think the reason is because real integrity is so rare today. Amen? It's just so rare. And we don't see it. And so we're skeptical when we begin 
to, to, to come in contact with it. Let's keep going, verse 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, so understand what, what's happening here. 120 satraps, two, two presidents, not Daniel, 122 men come into the king's court, okay? Brand new king, 122 of your leaders and those people that are going to help guide and direct the, the trajectory of what your kingdom is going to be. 122 of them come into the king's court and they say this, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, all the, pre it wasn't all of the presidents, there was one significant president that was missing, but they were speaking on his behalf, or so the king thought. All of the presidents, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce it enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you O king shall be cast into the lion's den and so these 122 they come in they're speaking on behalf of all of the presidents and all the governors and all the leaders and all the nobility they're saying hey we see you as a god we want you to establish your reign and your authority we want you to issue a decree that says we can only every anybody in the nation can only pray to you alone as the supreme god for the next 30 days and if anybody um, fails to do that or prays to somebody or something else they get thrown in the lion's den now O king establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked therefore King Darius signed the document and the injunction like he was he was duped I mean there 122 people came in they told him how amazing he was um, 122 people came in and said, we want to pray to you, O king, live forever. You're awesome. You're amazing. We love you. We worship you. Make it so that everybody has to love you and worship you. And King Darius is like, sweet, sounds good. Signs the document and gets going. He's the new king. He's looking to unify a nation. The leaders are saying, you're God, you're good. Sign this law. And he does. Darius just signs the paper. Verse 10, this is significant. And this is where things change. It says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, I want to say that again. When Daniel knew, say that with me. Daniel knew. It's very important that we know this. I mean, this is so significant in the story. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel knew what had been signed. Daniel knew that Darius was a new king. Daniel knew that Darius could not allow Daniel to pray and everybody else not to. Daniel knew. But he went to his house threw the windows open towards Jerusalem and got down on his knees and prayed just like he always had before. Look, this is a significant moment in the story of Daniel, but I want to go all the way back to when Daniel was a 15 and 16-year-old. Like, this ability to do an awesome thing and kneel there when you knew it would mean certain death was begun all the way back when he was eating vegetables. But Daniel knew, and he did it anyway. 
When the law of the land conflicts with the law of God, the believer has to decide to which he will submit. Because there will be moments when they conflict. Are you aware that today, right now, at this moment, there are hundreds of believers, hundreds of Christians, and hundreds of missionaries in the world today that are breaking the law with their faith, with their presentation of the gospel. That there are people that are breaking the There are people that are going against the laws of man so that they can accomplish the laws of God. We have several missionaries that we can't even tell you where they are because they are, we call them sensitive places. And what we mean by sensitive places, it means that they are breaking the law for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the law of the land conflicts with the law of God, the believer has to decide to which he will submit. And the nobility wanted Daniel out of the way so they could start lining their pockets with the king's money. This was a perfect setup. They knew Daniel's character and integrity. They knew that he wouldn't pray to the king. Now remember, Daniel knew the law. This could have been avoided if Daniel would have done what? Close the windows. Hey, Daniel, we can see you. Close that window, brother. You know, that's all you have to do. You have to close the window. Why was Daniel being so dumb? Why was he being so stubborn and full? Why did Daniel have to have the windows open? Why was he kneeling towards Jerusalem? Because we don't have to do that. You guys know that, right? We don't have to kneel and face Jerusalem when we pray. You know that, right? Like there's no like standard in scripture that says when you pray you have to do it like this or this or this. You have to bow. I mean, really God through scripture tells us to pray anywhere and everywhere and however. I mean, he gives some specifics in, in, in finding a prayer closet and a prayer time, but then he says pray without ceasing. And, and so we don't have to. This wasn't something that Daniel had to do. So why did he? Why did he open the window? Why did he pray towards Jerusalem? I believe it's because Daniel was standing and believing on a very specific promise. A very specific, because Daniel knew scripture, and Daniel was studying scripture, and Daniel was living scripture out. I believe he was standing on a very specific promise that goes all the way back to 1 Kings. If you have your Bible, you can flip there, 1 Kings chapter 8, or write it down if you're taking notes, 1 Kings chapter 8. This is what happened, this is what was happening in 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon had just built a multi-billion dollar temple to honor God. He just built a multi-billion dollar facility, and when they were dedicating this temple, the Spirit of God filled that temple up in a massive and powerful and a holy way. And while the Spirit of God was filling that temple up, Solomon, the king at the time, began to pray and prophesy over the nation, over the temple, and over the people of God. And this is what he says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, when he was praying and prophesying and dedicating this temple. This is what he says. He says, if they, talking about the the people of Israel, the Hebrews, if they sin against you, God, for there is no one who does not sin, and you, God, are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, are you following what's happening? He's saying, if they sin and if you give them into the hands of the enemy and if the enemy takes them into exile, basically what's He's, he's prophesying exactly what's happened to the Israelites. And then he says this, Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which 
They have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, verse 48, and if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Daniel is kneeling, throwing the windows open, praying towards Jerusalem because he's standing on the promise that was declared by Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. If they do that, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them. Why was Daniel praying towards Jerusalem? Because he was standing on a promise that God had given him through King Solomon in 1 Kings. He believed in the promise. For all of our baptism candidates, you guys can get ready. I know as many of you have to sneak out and kind of go to the back and get ready. Please do that. Daniel threw open the windows because he was standing on a specific promise. Daniel threw open the windows because he had a relationship with God. Daniel threw open the windows because he loved the Lord and he pursued the Lord. Some of you are here this morning and, and there's a promise that you're standing on. There's, there's something that you're waiting for. There's something that you've been praying for. Daniel had been praying this for more than 60 years. Daniel's been believing for their safe return for more than 60 years. Some of you have been standing on a promise. Some of you have been praying for it. Some of you have been circling that promise. I want you to know, don't lose your faith, don't lose your hope, and don't lose your supernatural boldness because God wants to fulfill every promise that he has given you. It's the, it's the Africa tree. There was a, one, of the, one of the temporary missionaries that would go and do missions trips for them. They were there, and they were praying, and God gave them a vision of that tree many years ago, of that tree falling down many years ago. And with boldness, he declared to the missionary and to the pastors there, man, God showed me a vision of that tree falling down. Let's pray and let's agree that this will come true. I was talking to our missionary and he said, you know what, I prayed with him, I agreed with him, but I was like, yeah, well, probably not. That's a pretty big tree, you know? But they stood and they believed in the promises of God. Daniel could have closed the windows. He could have prayed silently. Worship team, please come too. He could have went somewhere else to pray, but that would have been unbelief and fear, and so he threw those windows open knowing full well what the consequences would be. Daniel knew. He wasn't tricked. He wasn't duped. Daniel wasn't outsmarted. Daniel knew what he was doing, and he kneeled down and he prayed because his faith in God was greater than his fear of the lions. His faith in God was greater than his fear of the lions, and there's so much more to this story that I wish we could get into this morning. We don't have time to really get it all. That's the problem when you start studying scripture. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. But let me just tell you what happened if you don't know. Daniel is arrested like the satraps thought he would. Daniel is arrested like he knew he would be. Um, and so he's taken in front of the king. The king is upset because he'd been tricked. And the king doesn't want to, but he has to throw Daniel into the lion's den, knowing full well that Daniel was going to be consumed immediately. What they would do with the lion's den, they would, they would kind of keep them in their pens, 
they would put the food on this side, they would open the pins, and then the, the hungry lions, they kept them on the, the verge of starvation. The hungry lions would attack and just, you know, do what you would imagine. Darius knew that Daniel wouldn't make it. <clears throat> so with a heavy heart, Daniel, or Darius agrees to throw Daniel into the lion's den, and, and the pagan king, who has no relationship with God whatsoever, prays all night long for Daniel. He fasts for Daniel. The next day, Darius wakes up and he runs out to the den where the, the stone had been placed on top to seal him in. And as he's running out there, he cries out, Daniel, has your God protected you? Daniel responded to him and said, O king, live forever. He said, my God protected me. I'm fine. It doesn't say it in scripture, but I would imagine he said, could you get me out of here? You know, no, I don't want to test this too much longer. I'm okay. And so Daniel walked out of the den without a scratch, <clears throat> and the pagan king issued a decree in verse 26 that says this. He says, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And he says this, this pagan king says, for he is the living God. The words of this decree are 100% true. He is the living God. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. God could have saved Daniel from the lion's den, but he got much more glory by saving him in the lion's den. Do you understand the significance of that? God could have kept Daniel from having a night with the lions. He could have. He could have changed things. He could have altered the circumstances. He could have um, disrupted the satrap's plans. But I believe the whole time God was watching this whole thing come together. He was watching the satraps. He was watching the faithfulness of Daniel. He knew Daniel would pray. He knew Daniel would be in the lion's den. And God had to have been thinking, oh, this is going to be so sweet because Daniel is going to go into the den. He's going to spend a night of terror in the lion's den and I'm going to raise him out in complete victory without a scratch on him and God knew that as a result of this a pagan king would declare the glories and the excellencies of God now listen there's a reason why God often allows us to experience the pain the frustration the fear and the heartache that we do it's because he wants us to tell our story and when we tell our story of victory and and salvation and overcoming God knows that he is going to get glory if he would have just kept us safe and kept us warm and kept us clean and kept us well fed there would be no story to tell The story that we talked about two weeks ago, uh, the Easter, the resurrection story. Why is that story so powerful? Why is that story so significant? Because Jesus died. It's so powerful. It's so significant because Jesus died. But then he rose again to reign victorious. And oh, church, what a story we have to tell. That's why we talk about Jesus so much. That's why we talk about Scripture so much. Because it's the greatest story ever. i got to hurry because we got some baptisms. Just a moment. You're going to see several people be baptized in water. They're going to share their story. 
They're going to tell their story. Scripture tells us to be baptized in water like Jesus so that we can identify with him. So this morning, they're throwing open the windows. They're telling their story of what Jesus has done for them. Today, they're throwing open the windows and saying, today I will stand with the lion of the tribe of Judah. Today, I'll declare my faith and tell my story. So they're throwing open the windows and they're gonna tell their story for two reasons. Number one, because we as believers refuse to hide. And number two, because we must begin to boldly declare that we believe in the promises of God. I don't know if a lion's den is in any of their futures. I doubt it, and I pray it's not. So I think it's time for us to stop being afraid to tell our stories, to throw open the windows and boldly declare, I believe in the faith and the promises of God. We got some stories to tell. Pastor Jason, it's all you, man.